Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. You'll be so 1 Samuel 14 and 24, it's about Saul's rash oath. Now, when the Bible talks about a rash oath, I think about Jephthah. When remember the rash oath he made, he said, the first thing that comes out of my house, I'll sacrifice it. And it was his daughter. <laughs> okay, rash oaths are not the way to go. It's not a good thing to do. It's not, it's not godly. It's not right. So Saul is going to do the same thing. He's going to make a rash oath here. And in verse 24 of chapter 14, it says, And the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had placed the people under oath, saying, Cursed is the man who eats any food until evening, before I have taken vengeance on my enemies. So none of the people tasted food. Okay, fight or starve. (laughs) Guys, this is not the way to motivate people. That's how you scare people. It's how you create more fear. And remember, the people, the Israelite men, these guys are out fighting battles against the Philistines. You cannot win battles by starving your own army. That's just not the way to do it. A man's got to eat, and there's a reason for it. You got to have the energy. Saul had been driving his men into desperation. And so because of this, because he's saying, do it because I said so, no eating until I get my vengeance, then what the people are going to do is they're going to follow the very first person that comes along that gives them an answer to their trouble. That's what happens when you put people under distress. They're going to follow somebody else that gives them an answer. Watch what goes down. First Samuel 14 and 25. Now all the people of the land came to a forest, and there was honey on the ground. And when the people had come into the woods, there was the honey dripping. But no one put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard his father charge the people with the oath. Therefore, he stretched out the end of the rod that was in his hand and dipped it in a honeycomb. And he put his hand to his mouth, and his countenance brightened. Then one of the people said, Your father strictly charged the people with an oath, saying, Cursed is the man who eats food this day. And the people were faint. But Jonathan said, My father has troubled the land. Look now, how my countenance has brightened because I tasted a little of this honey. How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies, which they found. For now, there would not have been a much greater slaughter among the Philistines. Okay, Do y'all see how Jonathan basically kind of countermanded his father's order? Y'all should have ate, man. (laughs) It would have been better. I mean, that took guts to say that. When you speak against what a king says, you could get in big, big trouble. 
And not only that, but to stand there and also tell the people, my father has troubled the land. That's gutsy talk. I think Jonathan is seeing with godly eyes what's really going on here. Saul had been, in the past few chapters that we've been reading, Saul had been disrespecting the things of the Lord. He violated the Lord's sacrifice. If you remember that, he said, bring the ark up. All these things that the Lord of the Lord that Saul had been abusing, and to add to it, Saul ordered a fast. He disrespected the sacrifice. Now we're going to fast. Well, how's he abusing that? He's abusing it because he's using a fast to get my vengeance. He's troubling the land. And these guys that are under the fast that are not eating, that's why they're not eating, because they believe they're under a fast. And they believe that if they break it, that God will curse them for it. They're starving to death. They're trying to fight Philistines. They're weak. They're faint. And they're scared to eat because they're afraid of God. Because of what Saul said, they were scared. That is, until they heard Jonathan say, my father is the trouble here. That's the trouble. Remember, they're going to follow the first guy that gives them an answer. What are they thinking here? I think in Jonathan sounding kind of good to me is what they're probably thinking. He says, my father's the trouble. You should have eaten. Jonathan is the only guy that's ever given them direction. This is a leadership moment. He gave them direction. He's out there with them. He's not just staying behind barking orders. He's in it. He already led them to victory. He already fought and beat the Philistines. They're listening to him, not Saul. He gives them direct direction. So what do you think they're going to do? You think they're going to do what Jonathan says? Y'all should have ate. <laughs> or do you, you think they're going to say, no, no, we, we're still not going to eat. We're going to do what Saul said. Look what happens. 1 Samuel 14, 31. Now they had driven back the Philistines that day from Michmash to Ajalon, so the people were very faint. And the people rushed on the spoil and took sheep, oxen, and calves and slaughtered them on the ground, and the people ate them with the blood. Guys, when you're starving to death, that's what happens. You get that desperate. And they ate it with the blood, verse 33. Then they told Saul, saying, look, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. So he said, you have dealt treacherously. Roll a large stone to me this day. Okay, listen to this. <laughs> Saul said, you have dealt treacherously. Not me. You did. No, Saul is the treacherous one here, just like Jonathan said he was. Jonathan said, my father has brought trouble. Now, we have to realize the people were starving here. That's a very desperate scenario. And so they quickly ripped up and ate whatever they could get their hands on. I'm almost likely to think you'd do the same thing too if it were you, if you were in that position. 1 Samuel 14, 34. Then Saul said, disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, bring me here every man's ox and every man's sheep, slaughter them here and eat and do not sin against the Lord by eating with blood. So every one of the people brought his ox with him that night and slaughtered it there. Okay, right here, the big issue is don't eat with blood. That's, a, that's the problem here. Now he's saying don't eat with the blood. So that, that's really where the focal point is. Don't break the law. 
What he's doing is he's holding Levitical law on them. Don't eat with the blood. But interesting, look who's suddenly saying that sin should stop. This is Saul here. He says, do not sin against the Lord. Don't violate this. Yeah, I'm thinking, you just did what with the sacrifice the other day, and you're telling me not to sin? You're blaming me? I have dealt treacherously? Excuse me? That's just running through my head. I'm just kind of saying what I'm thinking, (laughs) what they may have been thinking. Stop sinning, he says. He's going to use Scripture to justify it. Where did he get this from? He gets it from Leviticus 17 and 10. And now this is actual law that the people should not have done regardless. Leviticus 17.10 says, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. Okay. Was it wrong for the people to eat blood? Uh, By law, I could go ahead and say, yeah, it was wrong because of the law. Part of me says, yeah, but they were starving. I, I see both sides. Who was really wrong here? I don't know, but that's not the point. The point is he's using Leviticus uh, 17, that you should not eat the blood. But what I would like to ask Saul here, since we're dealing with Saul, is that if we're going to throw the book at everybody, then why didn't you obey Leviticus fourteen nineteen? The priest shall offer the sin offering. You know, if you're going to throw the book at people, do not sin, you treacherous people, you bad wick, you stop that because it's against the law. Okay, Saul, here's yours. You didn't wait for Samuel. And you did this offering yourself, the sacrifice of the Lord. How about, and we're still in the book of Leviticus. The priest shall offer the sin offering. Saul, if you want to throw the book, let's throw the book. But do y'all remember how Saul gave Samuel when he would not wait for Samuel to do the sacrifice? He did the sacrifice himself. Saul gave Samuel that long list of excuses on why he did it. He's trying to justify himself for why he didn't wait. But when Saul heard that the people broke Leviticus 17 and they ate meat with the blood, did he allow them any excuses? No. He said, you're treacherous. Let's eat now, but don't you sin. He didn't allow them to But we were starving, Saul. How are we supposed to fight against an enemy? Or how about, how can we fight when we have no strength? He didn't allow none of that. He got to make excuses, but he would not allow any from anybody else. You see, you see that? Saul refused any excuses when he was a master excuse maker himself. And so Saul tells them to roll a large stone over. Basically, let's set up a proper place to slaughter animals. Don't just slaughter it on the ground, you treacherous people. You did so wrong. Let's make a proper place to slaughter animals. Just don't sin. Don't you sin, you terrible people, by eating the blood. It's like he's scolding them, the people for the problem that he put them in. I hate it when somebody shoves me into a scenario and then they jump on me for being there. (laughs) This king has no answers. He has no solutions. He has no peace, no building up, no encouragement. He doesn't even let the people speak for anything on their behalf. All he does is tear them down and accuse them. And when you consider that Samuel had just chewed him out recently, for breaking the law himself, it kind of looks like Samuel's behaving like this just to pass the blame off on himself, off of himself. I had a, a manager at a job one time who got chewed out royally by the CEO because he was coming in late. The same day, my manager calls me into his office and writes me up for saying I don't manage my time properly. 
I was always on time, and I did fine, I guess, but he felt like he had to do something to me to get off of him what happened to him, I guess. But it kind of looks like Samuel's passing the blame. Let me jump on the people. Makes me feel better about myself. You know, those kind of people, they get in trouble, and the first thing they do is they go do the same thing to somebody else. You ever notice people like that? They get abused, and they turn and become an abuser themselves. Samuel didn't actually abuse him, though. He he really chewed into him for what he did wrong. But uh, I don't think Saul's right for doing this. But now, I say verse 35 to read all by itself. Watch this. I was going to go into 35, but I kept it. First so, uh, Samuel 14.35. Then Saul built an altar to the Lord. This was the first altar that he built to the Lord. Do you see what I'm seeing? Saul picked this moment to finally build his very first altar? You've been king how long? A <laughs> couple years or so. Recently, Samuel just chewed him out for breaking the law. Then Saul accused the people of sinning because of a problem that he put them in, allowed them no excuses. And after being king for a couple of years, he picks now to build his first altar. The timing of this is just wrong. Saul, God made you royalty, and you never thought once to build an altar until it was time to make yourself look better than everybody else. That's what I see here. The Bible specified it's his first altar. He went and built an altar after jumping all over everybody, and it's the first one he ever built. Saul, you should have built an altar a long time ago. Why now? Now, if you think I'm just trying to villainize Saul, I mean, because it kind of sounds like it, right? You're coming down on Saul pretty hard. <laughs> Wait till you see what happens next. 1 Samuel 14, 36. Now Saul said, let us go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them until the morning light and let us not leave a man of them. And they said, do whatever seems good to you. Then the priest said, let us draw near to God here. So Saul asked counsel of God, shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you deliver them into the hand of Israel? But he did not answer him that day. God's not talking. I'm not trying to villainize Saul. I'm just showing you, here's now we get a a view of how God is seeing this. And you notice how the Lord made this rebuke a public rebuke. Not answering him, it wasn't private, It it was done in public. Everybody was gathered together here. But Saul is so spiritually blind that he thinks the reason that God is not answering is because of somebody else and not him. 1 Samuel 14, 38, and Saul said, come over here, all you chiefs of the people, and know and see what this sin was today. For as the Lord lives, who saves Israel, though it be in Jonathan, my son, he shall surely die. But not a man among all the people answered him. (laughs) Nobody is talking now. God didn't talk and the people ain't talking either. So Saul thinks God is quiet because someone else has sinned. And when he finds out who did it, he's saying, even if it turns out to be my own son, he's going to die for it. That's that's the rash oath that he makes. Even if my own son does it, he's going to die. Shouldn't have said that, Saul. It really gets me how Saul said, as sure as the Lord lives, who saves Israel. You see that? As sure as the Lord lives, who saves Israel. Yeah, right. If Saul really believed that the Lord saves Israel, then why did Saul give Samuel 
all those excuses for being afraid of the Philistines. If you really believed that the Lord saves Israel, why were you so scared of that enemy? I don't think Saul's really meaning what he's saying. I think he's just saying whatever he thinks sounds right. If Saul really believed that the Lord saved Israel, then why did he force all his men into starvation as a motivation to hurry up and beat the Philistines? If God is capable of saving Israel, why don't you just trust God? Why are you implementing all these extreme measures? I don't think Saul is really believing what he's saying here. He's just grandstanding again, acting all big, acting tough. But where he really messed up is when he made the rash oath, and he said the penalty of this sin would be death for whoever did it. Now, you're thinking it's going to come down on Jonathan, because he told the people, don't eat, but Jonathan ate honey. But if my own son did it, he'll die for it. Well, you know where this is headed. And that's why everybody's so quiet. (laughs) Nobody's talking. Who's going to be the first guy to step up to the king and go, hey, your son did it? They know it was Jonathan who ate when he commanded everybody not to eat. Saul seems to be the only guy in Israel that doesn't have a stinking clue. 1 Samuel 14 and 40. Then he said to all Israel, you be on one side, and my son Jonathan, I will be on the other side. And the people said to Saul, do what seems good to you. Therefore, Saul said to the Lord God of Israel, give a perfect lot. So Saul and Jonathan were taken, but the people escaped. Okay, remember when Saul asked the priest to use the Urim and the Tumen stones before? Do we attack the Philistines or not? And he says, all right, uh, withdraw your hand, because apparently the priest was reaching into the pocket to get those two stones that they somehow used to check for yes or no. The yes or no, do we attack or do we not? So now he's saying, all you get over here, and me and my son will get over here. We're going to go to the stones again to see, is it over here or is it us? Is it all the people or is it on me and Jonathan's side? Okay, that's how the stones would, would work. So he goes to the priest to get the, to get the priest to use the Urim and Tumen stones again. However, they used them, don't know. We we figure that they were thrown like maybe like dice because Saul said, "Give a perfect lot." When you cast lots or if you drawing straws, something like that, it's it, it's a way of determining randomness. But they knew that the Lord God controlled the outcome, and that's why he asked the Lord to provide a perfect lot. So the Lord, the Lord caused the lot to fall on Saul and Jonathan and not the people. That's kind of a weird division. All you people, everybody, get over here. Me and Jonathan's going to stand over here. It's like, I know it ain't going to fall on us. We're royalty, and you're not. And it did. It fell on them too. Now, it somewhat seems that Saul was trying to hide behind royalty like there is no way that anyone of royalty could do anything wrong. So me and my son are standing over here. Didn't this move just totally backfire on Saul? He's like, us us better than you people? We're going to stand over here, and we're going to find out what the Urim and Tumen does to you guys over there, and it fell on them. Didn't see that coming. <laughs> he's in it now. <laughs> I think he's starting to sweat because he knows that whatever the next lot is has to be between him and Jonathan. 
He just got rebuked publicly by the Lord not answering his, his, uh, his question. Now he's about to get rebuked publicly again because he's making a big event out of this. 1 Samuel fourteen forty two, And Saul said, cast lots between my son Jonathan and me. So Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what you have done. And Jonathan told him and said, I only tasted a little honey with the end of the rod that was in my hand. So now I must die. Saul answered, God do so and more also, for you shall surely die, Jonathan. Goodness, dad, where's the love, man? So incriminating. He's making excuses to Samuel, but, but, but I was scared of the enemy. I, I, just, I didn't know what I did. And he said, okay, well, you should die. And God do more to you also. No mercy in this man. Where's the care? Where's the compassion? Did Samuel condemn Saul this bad when Saul violated the sacrifice? Saul lost the kingdom, but Samuel never threatened Saul with death over it. Saul is being a little too harsh here, I think. Rash oath, remember. Also, take notice that Jonathan made no excuses for himself, did he? He didn't make excuses. Oh, well, this and that, I, but, but I was scared. I, he says, yeah, I, I, but I only ate honey. I did do it. I ate honey. Um, you know, I was talking to Anna the other day about Jonathan's good character compared to his father's bad character. And Anna said, so who raised him? Who raised Jonathan? Obviously, Saul didn't. <laughs> that was a good observation. How'd these guys turn out so different? I don't know. But Jonathan made no excuses. He owned up to what he said. Yeah, I ate, but I just ate honey. I just ate honey. What was Saul jumping on the people about? He said, here, slaughter animals here, but don't eat the blood. Now, what's Jonathan saying? Yeah, I ate, but I didn't eat any meat. I didn't eat any blood. I ate honey. Very important that he only ate honey. Jonathan did not break any Levitical law. But somehow that huge detail, I just ate honey, Dad. That huge detail seemed to just fly right over the top of Saul's head, did it? He should have said, what, you only ate what? You only ate honey? You mean you didn't eat meat with the blood in it? Oh, well, that changes everything. No, he goes, oh, God, do more to you also. You will die. Jonathan didn't do anything wrong. But Saul said that Jonathan should still die even though he never ate any blood. 1 Samuel 14 and 45. But the people said to Saul, Shall Jonathan die, who has accomplished this great deliverance in Israel? Certainly not. This is the people telling the king this, by the way. Certainly not. As the Lord lives, not one hair of his head shall fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. So the people rescued Jonathan, and he did not die. Verse 46, Then Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. Wow! Finally, the Israelites told Saul no. Uh-uh, not having it. You see how bold they got all of a sudden? <laughs> Whew, man. Now, let me ask you a question. If you can remember back a few chapters back, who were the people saying no to not long ago? They said no to God. Now they're saying no to the king that they wanted instead of God. You see the changes happening here?
you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.